we're back. Welcome to episode two. Episode two of Moon Shooting. Yes. How are you? Stan and Mark. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm amazing. I know we already... I've recovered from episode one. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's a lot to, to launch a whole podcast and start. I mean, we started this whole thing from scratch, basically. Um, Especially so. when you do 80% of the work. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Easy for me. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you have it. You have it all. All set up. I'm just, so. uh, I'm just holding the energy. Yes. Holding the energy here. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, it was maybe like three or four weeks ago, we tried recording in one place. It didn't work out. And then right. it allowed me to have this like influx of ideas and the whole another new set of clarity on the podcast and what it should be about. Well, it's actually funny because it's going to be this episode where when something's not working right and you know it's not right and you're trying to make it work and you're trying to fit it, the best thing to do is to drop it and start something new or make it what you want. Right. Mm. And that's kind of the episode today where we are stuck. So we were kind of trying to play outsourcing our site and outsourcing everything else to somebody else. And you didn't like that. I didn't like it either because you couldn't control things the way you wanted them. Yeah. So we were stuck. Exactly. And then we got unstuck by just going, it's not working. And you went and said, oh my God, not only is that not working, I've got a way to make everything work. A failure, which really wasn't a failure, turned into something that propelled us to do much more. So I think that's the thing that people have to get over when they try one thing, doesn't work. What lessons are you learning and how much can you pivot? And if you continue to try to make that thing work and it's getting worse or you're not feeling right about it, don't act like you made a bad choice. Just act like that that just didn't fit. That wasn't it just wasn't right for you. Exactly. And getting comfortable with that, like kind of what I learned from all of it is mm -hmm. what that feeling is going against the grain. Like, right. you know, deep inside when you're going against the grain for something, you're really trying to make it work, but it's mm -hmm. things aren't working out right. And you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing. It's not fluid. It doesn't feel organic. And the first time you try something new, it is harder. It's an issue, not because you have to figure out what works. And so usually you put more time and effort into it. And you have to slow down a little bit before you can go faster. Yeah. And I think that's a really great message just for anybody right. to remember. It's okay to slow down. Sometimes you have to. Right. You know, like the best, the the most perfect example. Well, there's lots of examples of this, but your favorite example with the arrow. Yes. Think of it like pulling an arrow back. So retreat, go back, manifest what you want to do, and then launch that's com that's almost like what we're doing moon shooting shoot for the stars you have to go back first yeah you have to pull it back first you have to retreat then you've got to manifest it put a little tension on it then you got to let it go but the manifesting is figuring out the target mm -hmm. and in moon shooting you know the biggest problem is people don't retreat to figure out what the target is and they have to manifest that target like where do they want to be at the end of their life and so they default into material things which we talked about in episode one. Retirement, you know, the world's got us a slave to a job and 40 hours a week and retiring and a happy life and blah, blah, blah. Well, that was our parents' generation because before then, you know, a couple of generations before it was chaos and they went from agrarian to industrial and then industrial to 
more educated society. Right, and like so, a me- right, and digital world. And to have a career. But remember, those corporations and the people they worked for were much more loyal. And then like, that kind of all fell apart as it, w- as it should have because it really wasn't conducive to creation. People weren't as happy. They had hobbies and they had families. And so, okay, I get to go to work and I get to have a family, five or six kids and blah, blah, blah. But even then, I know the men in my neighborhood who had other things or who lived a passionate life while they made money, they were very happy. And they were much more happy combining both. Right. right. Like my dad was an artist. My next door neighbor was an NBA ref, but he did other things. My next door neighbor across the street, he worked for DuPont, but he still golfed every Saturday. And he loved working for DuPont. He loved his job. He was he was good at it. Right. So he was he was an example of someone living in alignment with right. their passion. Right. Yeah. Because it was sort of a man's world. And with the sexual revolution, that all got blown up because only half the family was happy. You know, and even though those wives, will, yeah. <laughs> even though those wives will still, still still tell you that they were, they loved what they did, and my mother and a lot of them worked too. They just didn't. They had to take care of the kids until they got to a certain age, and then they went back to work, mm-hmm. right? But in this generation now, we're especially in the feminist generation, where it's like, hey, excuse me, excuse me, I want to be a creator too. I want to be a creator. Yeah. Hello, hello, yeah. right? Some people might not like what you're creating, but you're going to do it anyhow. You should go create something. Right. Right? Because yeah. that's who we are. We're creators. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. And so the funny thing is that what led us into this conversation of being stuck is we both talked about how we pivoted in our careers. I have a much longer pivot. And the funniest thing is, if we remind the audience, we both left sort of the corporate world or what we had pivoted to as a job, a nine to five kind of lifestyle, even that wasn't nine to five, right? To me, it was like I was doing 60, 80 hours a week. We pivoted on that on the same day, years apart, August 31st, when you were 33 and August 31st, when I was 33. Yeah. And yours was last year and mine was a hundred years ago. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So with all of our parallels in life, you know, we both have experienced being stuck. Mine is a lot more recent, but yours is you had your throughout your life, you had a roller coaster of being stuck and unstuck, stuck and unstuck. Right. So, you know, to share our stories for starting with you, when were the times that you realized you were stuck? What did that feel like? And what did you do to get unstuck? So I can tell you the first time I got stuck, really stuck, was in college when I was at Trinity. I went there to play football, but also to get a good education because I had a combination of both. It was a small school. I got hurt not playing football anymore. And school to me was like, even high school, for a lot of people, it was too boring. It wasn't fast enough. And half the stuff you learned, you just didn't care about, like you had to check the box off, right? The, the other half or the other 20, 20 to the 40% I loved, right? It was fantastic. But my junior year, I had gone into my junior year to take on all of this responsibility. I was social chairman of my fraternity and I was a TA. And I know how that looks. And like. I, and yeah, and I like took on too much and, and I wasn't playing football anymore. And I was kind of like, you know, there wasn't like, to me, I was filling space for the fact that I really wasn't doing exactly what I loved and I was a political science major and it was, wasn't exactly what I loved. Um, there's parts of it I did. And the summer before I went there, 
had a girlfriend and the, I, I, I made that a disaster because I was unhappy. It wasn't her fault. I just like, and she wasn't there. And so I like literally went through like what, what is now considered like a nervous breakdown or like a depression. And back then they didn't even know how to treat that. And so I was like, had to drop some classes. I couldn't be the TA anymore. Um, my social chairman, I wasn't that great at it. And, but people helped out and I didn't know if I was going to quit. I laid down on the ground one day and I'm like, I'm never going to get up. I have to move home. This is awful. It's terrible. You know, and it's just like, I like, I was stuck it, and it was just, and the manifestation of that to me was like being depressed. And it was just happened to one day I'm walking and I saw a guy I knew walk into his mailbox. And of course, divine intervention. I said, what are you doing in like as much energy as I could come up with? And feeling really bad because at that same time I saw the class I was supposed to be teeing in and the teacher was teaching it. And I'm like, oh my God, I feel so bad. I should be over there doing that. Yeah. I just can't do it. And he went to his mailbox and he said, I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm, I'm applying for this internship in the Congress through Boston University, another college. And I'm like, oh, I want to do that. And so I, and he gave me the application. And so I mustered up as much strength as I could. I filled that application out and I sent it in. And so I ended up getting into the program. I ended up going to Washington, D.C. and having the most amazing six months of my entire life working for in the Senate for Joe Biden during Reagan's first 100 days where he got shot. The shuttle, the shuttle took off and the hostages came home. And while I was there, the aha moment other than this amazing experience was, oh, my God, I love economics. I love numbers and business and they were talking about supply side economics they were talking about all this cool stuff and i just had the capacity to and the freedom from the biden people so i was allowed to go and i went and saw all these really cool things and so when i got back to school i said i'm not going to be a lawyer and i'd gotten into law school i'm going to go to business school and so i figured and so I went to this program in boston that was uh, a master's in accounting i didn't think about accounting and uh, that's actually a good skill and that got me into the into the big aid into Deloitte, and I had three amazing years there. And but that led to me moving to DC and working as a CFO or, or controller for like these small public and private companies, which I kind of liked the work. But at the same time, I had another breakdown. So I got married, and then I wasn't happy, and so that caused problems in my marriage because I didn't like going to the same place every day. I liked being in public accounting, it, like going, which was the job, right? Yeah, I, I like I like some of the accounting work, doing forecasts and numbers and other weird things like that. And I love public accounting because you go to different clients. So on Stephanie's birthday, on what day she was born, on the thirty first, I quit and I said, "I'm going to build something that has both. Has both. You can get clients and you could work on financial stuff and help." young companies. I love the young companies. I love the software companies. And it just happened that I did that in the early 90s. And by the, the mid 90s, it just took off because the internet hit. I couldn't have foreseen any of that. The first three, four years was hard because no one understood what I was doing. I didn't even understand. And it, later people would call it an accelerator. And later it became this pitch competition that I did. And I was really good at getting companies funded. And at the time when I started it, no one was, there wasn't a lot of funding going on. There wasn't, the internet hadn't hit yet. But I built something that opened up. And when that hit, I was ready and I was there. Yeah. And so those pivots were like, are you kidding me? 
you know? And so that was the beginning of my love for startups, love for creators, love for how to get them funded. And it appealed to me because I was using right and left brain. I could, at the, you know, I like num I like, I like numbers and I like helping people tell their stories. And I, I, then I understood the financial guys who were investing and how they invested. So I got to learn all three things and I got really good because I was in between those. Right. And that's how I started my company. I liked the creative side, but I also liked the number side. Yes. And the money side. So I built a business for those two things because that was me. Like I built that because that was what I loved to do. And then all of a sudden, I didn't know how it was going to fit and it was struggling at first. And I have these young kids and like a wife and she's a CPA. So it was, she, she worked hard too to support that. And all of a sudden one day, boom, the internet hit and there was a huge need for someone of my skill set and hiring other people that like me to do the same thing. They like to run financial models, but they also like to meet with clients and boom, I got funded. It was great. And then it was great. And then it pivoted again and we can, and there's other pivots in that, but that part right there was critical so I created a business that didn't exist, and then all of a sudden, everyone's got an accelerator now, and everyone does pitch competitions now, and we didn't even call those, ex didn't even call them an accelerator. Right. Right? And I was doing it, but I didn't, I, don't, I maybe pioneered it in D.C. or in the East Coast, but, like, I hit upon something that, like, was right time, right place, but it wasn't. It was just taking a risk. Mm -hmm. I keep moving until I, till I, the thing I loved became valuable. I have a couple follow-up questions for you. You mentioned two moments where there were big moments for you. I know, and they both kind of piggybacked those bouts of depression, right? Like, or the breakdowns that you had. The one was in, was that, that was college, right? Yeah. One yeah. was in college mm -hmm. and you overloaded yourself with stuff that wasn't really in line with your passion. What you're saying, it sounds like that hitting that low point was actually in disguise one of the best gifts that you could have been given. Because if you didn't hit that rock bottom, that low point, okay. you wouldn't have seen that guy at the mailbox and you wouldn't have even had the time and space to consider applying for that internship. Right. His name is Matt Pace. Thank you, Matt Pace. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. <laughs> Matt Pace. Um, but if if that... He's now an attorney in New York doing what he loves because he loved sports and he was like a commissioner of lacrosse and he combined the two things too. He oh. was a lawyer and he's now he's Still do I think he's still doing involved in sports. Good so for him. it's cool, right? That's yeah. awesome. But yeah, but like my point is like it was so hard, but you instead of just like it was that critical moment at, at the mailbox when you decided what made you decide to go ahead and apply for the internship? I had a choice. You put yourself into position several times in my life where you have a choice to quit or not quit. And you have to decide to not quit. It isn't you're deciding to go forward or you're deciding to do something great. You're deciding to not quit. You're deciding to take a step and you don't know what that step is. Mm -hmm. It's a blind step. Once you find out what you love, you'll do whatever it takes. Right. Like I got on a Greyhound bus and I went to Boston and I interviewed with this guy, even though at Northeastern, he basically said, I'll let you in. And I go, I thought I had to have my GMATs. He goes, no, I really like you. You're, you, you're passionate about this. And this is after the um, internship in D.C.? Yes. Okay. I came home and I was like, like, I was lit up. Oh, you were super. I was super excited about like finance and economics and stuff like that. And this was like, and this was like a special program. I didn't want to go to any other MBA school. This was like a special program of 50 kids that were like out of the 
Ivy League schools and little Ivy Leagues, but it sounded cool because it was structured. It was super cool. You go there for four semesters and you get a job and you go for your CPA. And I'm not really a CPA anymore because that's, to me, being that long-term taxes and stuff like that were a little boring. But going and looking at, like, being in Boston and living in Boston and going to, like, a different company every couple of weeks and seeing how it worked and and observing how all these different companies were operating on, man, it, those three years, you just can't, like, it was worth 20 years, right? Yeah. It's so cool. It was like, so I don't, like, people get out, like, we're talking about people, like, if you're stuck, great, go do something you love, right, and figure out what your passion is, and you'll know if it's not your passion, you just will like it, and there's no amount of money that's going to get you there. So that point when I was going to that mailbox was, don't quit, mm-hmm. right? And when I came back, the market was horrible, like we're talking about now. Right now is the exact same point in time where inflation is going up and people are getting laid off on Facebook for the first time and the economy's like, you know, and then it's starting to get more in disarray. And man, that's the perfect time that if you're in your career prison, you're in your job prison, it's the perfect time to jump. Babe. It's when it's uncomfortable or you're uncomfortable where things don't go right, that's just like, that's the best time because most of the companies that are like the big winners in the last internet, they came in 2008 to 2012, a lot of them, when the banking crisis hit 2008, seven, and everything was bad. Like right now, the VCs aren't funding. Silicon Valley Bank is crashed. Well, that's good. Not good in the sense that the bank crashed, but the model of the VCs is going to change. And it's going to open things up. Yeah. And that's what we're, that's what I, my, my vision is, is that we can open things up. Like it's like in Jurassic Park when that, when the when the guy says, you know, you can't control nature. And so now it seems like even with the AI stuff and chat GPT, which I have a different opinion than everyone else has, it's not as scary to me. It's actually like the combustion engine. It's going to create all kinds of opportunity for us to be free, to work less, make enough money, and then to be creative worldwide awesome yeah that's like super cool time (laughs) keep creating until you're no more yep as long as you're clear on your moonshot there you go you that's all part of the the process i know where i want to go don't know how i'm going to get there but now it's going to be there yeah exactly so yeah so we'll dive more into that in the next episode i i'll share more about how my process of how i made that started to make that shift because it's more recent how to realize you're even stuck and how to start those first steps and why it's the perfect time to get unstuck. Well, guys, thank you all so much for listening and and hanging out with us and listening to our stories. And uh, they've left; they've all gone to happy hour. Uh, We're done. <laughs> <laughs> so, should we say our tagline? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, this has been Kristen Espinosa, Mark Modica, and this is Moon Shooting Mission Control signing off. <laughs> <laughs>